The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the fourth chapter. And Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up a scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Well, as Pam said, we are having our annual meeting later today. One of the items on the agenda for that meeting being what we are or aren't going to do uh, in terms of our church building, being the building that we think it needs to be in order to meet the needs of this church and its mission in years to come, including the needs of this church's 164-year-long now commitment to ministry with and for the University of Iowa community. At Gloria Day, a Lutheran presence has been present at this location adjacent to the University of Iowa since 1855, when the university was just an eight-year-old kid with 124 students, 41 of whom were women. Did you know that the University of Iowa was the first public university to open as co-educational? And the first public university to open a co-educational medical school? And the first public university to open a Department of Religious Studies? And the first public university to recognize officially an LGBT student organization? Now one can't say for sure, of course, but it's surely not hard to imagine that churches like Gloria Day, located where they were and being the people they were, were relevant participants in those conversations and decisions. A church's building, of course, is not, in the Bible's way of understanding it, the church. A church's building, rather, is just a church's building. The actual church being the people of God, who, when they get it right, do the things God calls them to do, and the things the Holy Spirit of God empowers and guides and helps them to do, gathering in a building like this and going out from a building like this to make a good and a God kind of difference in the world. For we, we meaning we the people, are the church. Which takes us to our reading from 1 Corinthians today, which actually began last week Sunday and which actually is going to continue next week Sunday because over the course of these three Sundays, we're going to be reading all of 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 in which Paul was writing to a church which he had founded but which was now struggling faithfully to find its way forward in its mission and ministry because... 
tale as old as time, the faithful were fighting with each other. And what they were fighting about was whether or not some members of the church were more important and elite kind of members of the church because these members of the church were more spiritual than other members of the church. Which takes us to the stretch of readings we started last week where in 1 Corinthians 12:1 Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Here's what's going on in Corinth. Jesus, right before he ascended to heaven, promised his followers that after he left, they would be given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that with the presence and power and help of the Holy Spirit, they would have what it takes to do what he wanted them to do, and what he wanted them to do was to spread the good news of what he'd done for the whole world. And just ten days later, on the day of Pentecost, well, that was the Greek word for it. In Hebrew, it was Shavuot. On that day, the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples and things literally started happening, literally, immediately. Because since it was Pentecost slash Shavuot, where there were Jews from all over the world in Jerusalem for the occasion, all of them, of course, speaking their own languages from wherever they were all over the world. And when the disciples were all then filled with the Holy Spirit, they all suddenly, miraculously, were given the ability to, to talk about Jesus, to preach Christ in languages from the people who were there from all over the world, languages which until that moment the disciples had never ever spoken a word of in their whole lives. This was a miracle. And the fiery power of the miracle was the fire and power of the Holy Spirit. Fast forward 25 years or so, at this church that Paul had started in Corinth, and there were people who were still, all of a sudden, seemingly miraculously, and right there in church, breaking out and speaking in various languages, various tongues that they didn't even know, which no doubt sounds plenty weird to plenty of us, but Paul, it wasn't weird to him. He says that he personally, on more than one occasion, more than anybody else, he said, in fact, had been given the spiritual power to do that same thing. But here's what wasn't fine with Paul. The people who apparently had been given this ability to speak in tongues started getting this whole kind of spiritual attitude thing going on in which they started acting like they personally were just really spiritually all that compared to all the rest of the people who didn't have the ability they had, which Paul heard about, and which Paul now, starting at 1 Corinthians 12, 1, wrote about when he wrote, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Holy Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's Paul's right out of the gate point. Spiritual people 
are all the people in whom the Holy Spirit of God is alive and at work accomplishing things. But the very first thing the Spirit seeks to accomplish every single time she gets to work on someone's life, the first thing to accomplish is faith. Which means that spiritual people in the church aren't a small elite. Some people in the church, spiritual people rather are all the people, all the people who believe in Jesus. Or for that matter, who even just kind of would like to believe in Jesus. Because every time the Spirit gets to work in somebody's life, the first thing she goes after is faith. For no one can say, Jesus is Lord, says Paul, except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you say it? Can you say it with me? Jesus is Lord. Can you say it again? Jesus is Lord. Can we say it like we mean it? Jesus is Lord. My brothers and sisters, welcome to the oneness of the church. That oneness being the oneness of the one in whom we all, differences and all, place our faith. That oneness too being something we realize places all, spiritually speaking, not in a divided or hierarchical body in which some are deemed spiritual and others not, but rather places us on the completely level ground of being sisters and brothers in Christ in whom the Holy Spirit of God is at work in all. And how do I know that? Because say it with me again, Jesus is Lord. No one, Paul says, can do and say what you just did and said except by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in them. Are you a spiritual person, in other words? The Christian church is answered by answering this question. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord? The Spirit, however, Paul then goes on to say, though ever at work to create faith in Jesus, doesn't consider her work done just when there's faith. For here's what Paul goes on to say. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates them all in everyone. To each, notice not to some, but to each and everyone is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given one gift, to another is given another gift, to one is given a high-profile kind of gift, to another is given a kind of behind-the-scenes kind of gift, to one is given a gift that maybe seems to some like kind of a weird gift, to one is given a gift that some may not even recognize as a gift at all. But all, Paul says, are given one gift or another by the Holy Spirit for the common good. And all these gifts, Paul says, are activated, ignited, fired up by one and the same Spirit. Okay, so now this is fun, I think. And also, these days, as much as ever, countercultural. Everyone in the church, Paul first said, is spiritual, as evidenced by his or her faith in Jesus, the one Lord of all of us. And in that common faith, in that same one, we are, Paul says, one. And don't ever forget that. And don't ever also 
start leveling layers of importance or walls of divisions instead of that because confessing our faith like that we stand on that one absolutely piece of level ground around the cross where sinners stand together to name our need for the Savior in whom we believe. And then it gets even more fun and more countercultural. We are one, Paul says, by our faith in one and the same Lord. But that faith in that one and the same Lord does not mean that we all need to be the same. Uh-oh. Exactly. <laughs> in fact, I mean, really, I think that's a good response. It's the only honest one here. Paul says, building on the oneness of our faith in one and the same Lord, all of us then proceeding to be the same is precisely what the Spirit gets at work next then not to see happen. For the Spirit who first works in all of us toward our oneness in faith then gets to work in all kinds of different ways by blessing the heck out of our not-sameness. But our differences... For the sake of the spirit-fired work that needs doing, the good that needs doing, Paul says, for the common good, the good of all. And that's the theme that Paul then develops in that portion of our reading we heard today by introducing and developing the theme of the church likened to a body, likened to a human body, except he's thinking of the church as the body of Christ, which he says, like the human body, needs every single part it has in order to do and to be every single thing the creator of the body has in mind for it to do and to be. And so he writes, should a foot say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body? Obvious answer, no. Meant to be obvious point, well then don't you be saying about yourself that because you're not who someone else is, you're not an important part of the body. He goes on, can the eye say to the hand, I have no need of you? Obvious answer, no. Meant to be obvious point, well, then don't you be saying about others that because they're not like you, they're not an important part of the body. The different parts of the human body and the different parts of the body of Christ, Paul writes, are beautifully and intentionally different. Because different is beautifully and precisely what the creator of the body created them to be. For it is those differences, differences within the body, which allow the entire body to do and to be what the creator of the body means it to do and to be. Okay. Audience participation part of the sermon, part two. You were pretty good on the last one. Repeat after me. There's no one here who's exactly like me. There's no one here who's exactly like me. And God loves that about me. And God loves that about me. Now if you can, turn and face somebody else. Alright? Say, there's no one here who's exactly like you. And God loves that about you. For we are the body of Christ. And individually members of it. Bet the second service won't be as good as you guys. You just, you guys rock there. 
Which takes us to uh, the last part of our three-week readings, which Paul then now makes kind of a surprising, but in my kind of nerdy theological opinion, also kind of a fun last move. The surprising part being that after having gone to all the length to say that a church isn't a hierarchy, where some people and their gifts are more important than other people and their gifts, he then makes what first kind of feels like a, like a complete U-turn. I'm talking about the very last part of our reading today, which actually leads right into next week's reading, where Paul says, but strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Wait, what? There aren't gifts that are greater than others, but nevertheless strive for the greater gifts. How does that work? Here's how it works if you're Paul. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, which by the way wasn't written for a wedding. Works okay at weddings, but it really works well for church. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. What's Paul saying? If the gift God has given you is the gift to speak, but what you are saying in the name of God is not said with love, stop saying it. And if what you're doing in the name of God is not growing you in your love for others or showing others God's love for them, stop doing it. And if what you are believing in the name of God does not include belief in God's love for others, stop believing it. And if you think of yourself as spiritual, but that is not evidenced by the fruits of loving words and deeds extending from you in the direction of others, then stop calling yourself it. Four. And here's the summary statement of three weeks' worth of readings from 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. When the Holy Spirit is at work in hearts and lives, faith in Jesus as Lord, Lord of all, always, always uses whatever are the unique gifts the Lord has given to each and to all to uplift and to heal one another and this broken world with God's love that is love for all. And when each in our unique ways that is happening in and among us, sprouting from faith and wrapped in love, then we precisely each in our own ways are spiritual people. As too, we, the people faithfully together, then, are the church. <laughs>